Our great Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of being together this afternoon. We pray for your spirit in a special way as we explore this wonderful gift. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before we begin, perhaps you're wondering about the funny accent. Or is it a real common accent around here? That's Southern? You don't hear an accent. Hey, that's a compliment. <laughs> okay, a little bit about me. Um, the accent is kind of a South African accent, maybe a little watered down uh, because we left South Africa quite a while ago, but that's where the accent's from. Uh, so I, every now and again, I may say something that sounds real strange uh, or pronounce a word in a way that you may not recognize it. I'm not offended in the least if you just wave and say, huh? And so we'll, we'll try it again or we'll get someone to translate it. So that might be, might be even easier. Um, yeah, I work for the White Estate at the General, well, we're situated at the General Conference. Do all of you know what the LNG White Estate is? Yeah? Yeah, kind of. Do you know what we do? No idea. You know, you're very brave because before I, uh, well, actually, <laughs> when I was interviewing for the job, I was like, so what do they, what do you actually do? I didn't know myself. So the, the LNG White estate, uh, Ellen White set up a trust to commit all of her documents to on her, in her will, she set up for the provision to have her documents, her publications looked after. So that was the beginning of the LNG White estate. So we have all of her original manuscripts, about 100,000 manuscripts, pages. We have them in a great big fireproof vault down there. So we have all of them now, of course, at all the study centers and branch offices, there are copies of everything that we have. But we've got all the original documents. Um, we also have first editions of everything. Um, we have incoming mail, all the letters that were written to Ellen White that have been preserved. And that's really interesting for, for getting context. Yeah. Do you still have a large Bible that she held? We do. Oh, wow. We do. As a child, they took us through the Ellen White estates back in D.C. where I had my elementary school years. And we would see the Bible. And we would see the, everything else that the Ellen White estates could tell uh, great mm -hmm. Yes, well, we've still, we've still got the Bible. We've got it now in a nice glass display thing. You're in Columbia? And we, we're in Columbia. Well, we're in, yeah, we're actually Maryland. Maryland. We're sitting right, Columbia, yeah, Old Columbia Pike. We're sitting right there. We've got the, the big Bible, the 18 and a half pound Bible. It's under its glass frame. And we've got the same edition. Uh, that people get to hold and that's always a, a great hit when they try to hold it with their left hand and <laughs> see how far they get. Uh, let me just do a quick advert at this point. If any of you are in Washington, D.C., the area, please come and visit us. We, has anyone seen the new museum exhibit? Okay. All right. What did you think of it? Okay, thank you. Good, I'll pay you later. All right. That is my sister-in-law, so. But I didn't tell her to say it. Okay, yes, you, you saw it. Yeah, and what did you think? It was, uh, it, was, it, it was interesting. This, you saw it last year? Uh, 
June? Okay, you can, you can come again because there's more displays now and more electronics. Uh, and so it's well worth the visit. So please come, when you come by, come and have a look. It's exciting. Let's begin. I said we were working in groups. So turn to the person next to you and we'll start off with a real tough question. Real tough question. Discuss with the person next to you which is the doctrine that Ellen White's writings bring to Adventism. Okay? Which doctrine does Ellen White's writings bring to Adventism? If you have more than one, you have to sort it out with you and your partner. Okay, I'll give you a minute. Turn to the person next to you. And which doctrine does Ellen White's writings bring to Adventism? All right, are you ready? Let's get some feedback. Which doctrines do Ellen White's writings bring to Adventism? Anyone? Okay, you look like you're going to have the right answer, so I'm not going to ask, ask you immediately. Yes? One of them being the health message. Okay, she says one of them being the health message. Anyone else? The power of the Holy Spirit within the church. Okay, I don't know if I'll call that a doctrine exactly, but a very important aspect. Yes, definitely. Uh, yes, I believe that the Seventh-day Adventist Church stands upon the Bible and Bible alone. I believe that Ellen White's writings may complement the biblical uh, truth that we know, but I do believe that Adventists stand on the Bible and the Bible alone. All right. It sounds like you wanted to give a similar answer. What answer did you want to give? Investigative judgment. Okay. I... Yes? Oh, uh, we were discussing that. As a result of Ellen White, we don't have new doctrine. She simply exposes the doctrine that were perhaps unlearned or misunderstood. All right. That was a very good warm-up. And so you better beware because there'll be plenty of questions like this. Absolutely correct. Ellen White brings no doctrine to Adventism. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Okay, our doctrines are founded on the Bible. The Bible. So, the very natural question would be, if we've got everything we need in the Bible, why do I need Ellen White? Turn to the person next to you. Why do I need Ellen White? She doesn't bring anything to me doctrinally. Why on earth do I need her? All right. So you've all sorted it out and you've got it crystal clear now, right? So why do I need Ellen White's writings? Anyone? Yes, please. So you're saying confirmation of biblical yes. truth. Okay, let me go to the other side and we'll come back. Let's go to the back. Yes. Yeah, well, she always says she was a lesser light. So you think of 
All right, a lot of details for end time, lesser light leading to the greater light. Good, yes? I, I really don't think that you really do need her. Okay. I think you can be saved with the Bible alone. And, okay. and many people, thousands of people have been. But having an extra, a more modern, a more detailed account of a lot of these things that are in the Bible is very helpful, especially in an era like ours where we have so much information and it's always changing and whatnot. Good. Good. I, good. A good observation. Okay. Did everyone hear what she said? All right. She said, you don't need Ellen White for salvation. You get everything you need in the Bible, but it's vital for the time we're living in right now. Okay, we're going to come back to some of these points. Okay, I'm going to move us along. I'm going to move us along. You'll get a chance. You'll get a chance. So probably tying into what you said over here, let's have a look at the relationship between Ellen White and the Bible. Now, for our, I'm sure we have theologians here. And I'm sure we have people with a lot of experience. Let me put a little disclaimer to you. This is, this is a beginner's course, okay? So it's, it's just sort of written for my level. So it's just really the beginner's course. Just hands down, simple, hands-on stuff. So probably when we talk about Ellen White and the Bible, there's confusion. There's a lot of confusion. We've spoken, we've said... Do I need Ellen White to be saved? And the question is, no. Okay, so why do I need Ellen White then? What is her relationship to the Bible? What is her authority? What is the comparison between Ellen White and the Bible? So let's take a little, let's take a little survey this afternoon. And we're going to do it South American style. We're going to do some voting. I lived for, for 11 years in Peru and Argentina. And in those countries, when it comes to election time, you have to go and vote. It's your civic duty. You have to vote. If you don't vote, you get fined. All right? So you may vote for whoever's on the, the ballot, but you may not choose not to vote. So you have to vote. So you have to vote this afternoon, okay? You have to vote. And you only have one vote, right? You don't have two votes. You only have one vote. All right. So... I'm going to give you three symbols over here and you're going to vote for Ellen White's relationship to the Bible. Now, we've all done math at some point. So we can say Ellen White is greater than the Bible. By that, I mean that I need Ellen White in order to read my Bible. I read my Bible through Ellen White. Okay, greater than. I'll give you the three options and then we're going to vote. All right. Ellen White is less than the Bible, right? Less than the Bible. Bible's greater. Ellen White's writings are less than. Or we have equal. Ellen White's writings are equal to the Bible. All right, those are your options. Are you ready to vote? All right, we will... If you're embarrassed because you're here with your friend, you can vote just in front, okay? Just that I see it. All right? Just in front. You could explain this. Okay. Less than. Which one was it? Less than. The less than and the equal to. Yes. Or I'm going to let you just vote as you would understand it. Yeah. I thought maybe more clarification. 
More clarification. Well, we will clarify afterwards. We'll make you vote first before you know what the candidate stands for. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. All right. All those that would vote for the greater than. Anyone brave enough? Okay, everyone's looking at everyone else. This is how democracy works. Okay, greater than. All right, no one. Good, very good. Now, now you have to choose carefully. Who's going for less than? All right. All right. That's, that's a good chunk. That's a good chunk. All right, who's going for equal to? They are in the minority, but they are a good, a good chunk too. Greater than, less than, and so we had no greater thans. We had a lot of less thans, and we had some equal tos. Good. Would you like to know the correct answer? Okay, you'll have to wait. You'll have to wait. We will come back to it. We will come back to it. But before we come back to that, we need to answer this. Because this will unlock the key for what we have been speaking about. Now, our theologians that are amongst us and any theology students that have already done a course on inspiration, keep it simple, okay? Keep it simple. And with your partner, as briefly and as simply as possible, discuss what you mean by inspiration or what you think inspiration means. Okay, go for it. Okay, are you all feeling inspired? Excellent, excellent. What, let's just take, let's take three short answers. Okay, what does it mean to be inspired? Anyone? Yes, please. To have God speaking through you. To have God speaking to you. To you? To you and through you. Okay. All right. Maybe someone who hasn't spoken yet. Yes. To be led. To be led. All right. Okay. Yes. By the Holy Spirit. So you two are working in tantrum here. Good. To be led by the Holy Spirit. I'm noticing that apart from you, the persons who have ventured an answer here are a little more mature. Because I think that this question is a little bit sticky. It's a little bit sticky. But it doesn't have to be sticky. But it is extremely important that each one of us have a grasp on this. Because all of the defectors... All of the great critics of Ellen White hold this in common. They all had a wrong view of inspiration. They all had a wrong view of inspiration. And if you hold the wrong view of inspiration, it will influence the way you read Ellen White. And most probably, you will end up having the mat pulled out from under your feet and not just with Ellen White's writings, but also with the Bible. Because it's the same inspiration that works. Yes? Are you going to go into detail what those wrong views were? You know, yes. I'm just going to touch on that. I'm just going to touch on that. But before we do that, let's do a very practical experiment. 
a very practical experiment. It's a fun experiment. Let me give you a tiny taste of what it is like, just a tiny taste, without the supernatural element involved, of what it would be like to have a vision. Okay? So what I want you to do is make sure you have a partner. All right? Make sure you have a partner. And one of you is one and one is two. All right? So just sort out who's one and who's two. All right? Are there any odd numbers? Because we need to sort the odd numbers out because we need a one and a two. Okay. Does everyone have a partner? And you know who's one and you know who's two because you're going to do different things. The ones and the twos are going to do different things. Okay. So, yes. Oh, you, you're in an odd number over here. All right. Let's, let's try to put... Um, all right. We'll have two... Anybody else need a partner? Okay, you two go together. Anyone else looking for a partner? All right, you're looking for a partner. We need one more partner back here. Okay, you got a partner? All right, so number ones, I'm going to show you something, all right? And you're going to pay careful attention to what I'm going to show you. You may not say anything while I show it to you, all right? I'm going to show you a picture. You study that picture, right? But you don't say anything. Number twos, don't cheat. You're going to keep your eyes closed, all right? Number twos may not cheat. They have to keep their eyes closed. Are you ready? All right. All right, so number twos, close your eyes. Close your eyes and do not cheat. Number ones, study that picture. Number one, study that picture. I'm going to give you, I'll give you 20 seconds to study that picture. Okay, take in all the details that you can. All right, number twos, you may open your eyes. Number twos may open your eyes. Now, number ones, please explain to number two what you saw. Explain to number two what you saw. Okay. Okay. Have a look. Number twos, have a look at what the number ones saw. All right, now grade them. Did they do a good job? Yeah? Is, is that what you imagined it to be? All right, some people are going like, ah. Other people are going, absolutely, yes. Sorry. Okay, nothing, nothing like it. <laughs> All right. Now, that was a very simple exercise. But this is what a prophet faced. Or this is what a prophet faces. A prophet gets shown a vision. A prophet gets shown a vision by God. And then it's the prophet's job to transmit it. To tell others what he or she has seen. So you experimented a little bit of that, the seeing and the telling for our number ones. And our number ones realize immediately that you are somewhat inhibited. It's difficult to make people see exactly what you saw. It's not easy. Now compound that with you being the only person alive who has seen that particular thing. All right. 
So you can imagine how difficult that is because you have to try to grab on things that your audience is going to understand and try and make comparisons. I heard lots of you making comparisons to things that you thought your, your partner would understand. Now, if I compare all of you here, I'm pretty sure most of you use the word Jesus, right? You use the word Jesus in your description and you use colors. You named colors. You probably mentioned the, the, the flame or the light. Okay, so you used a lot of similar vocabulary, but I'm pretty sure that there were no two of you that said exactly the same thing over here. Why didn't you say exactly the same thing? You needed to use body language, yes? It wasn't dictated. You saw, you used your own experience, you used your own language, you... If you know your friend well, you try to meet them and explain it in the way that they would understand it. Okay, so this would be part of the process of inspiration. Now, Ellen White wrote, she said, I am very dependent on God. Of course, she didn't choose when she had a vision. She didn't choose how she'd have the vision. She didn't choose what she was going to, excuse me, what she was going to see. That was God-given. But when it came time to transmit it, she tried her best. But she realized, oh, this task is bigger than what I am. So she would pray and she would pray continually, God help me, God help me, God help me transmit this faithfully and as well as I can. So it's not an independent process of the Holy Spirit when you start transmitting, but your personality, your language, all of it gets involved. God doesn't just inspire one part of a person. God works with all of the person. And we see in Ellen White, you see when she starts out, her first manuscripts that she has, the spelling is atrocious. She only has a third grade education. Okay, The grammar is bad. Punctuation is not good. All right. She's trying. She's trying. James helps her. James, fortunately, has school teacher background. He helps her. Editing, correcting, moving paragraphs. I mean, you know, like a public speaker, those who have taken public speaking, you begin, you keep saying the same thing over and over when you get, you know, you need to learn. And you look at how her writings progress. And they, I mean, she really makes an effort. She reads, she tries, she reads books. She tries to embetter her way of transmission, and you can see how it improves over the years. And then you have masterpieces like Desire of Ages coming out later on. So you can see how that process moves on. But this is vitally important to understand over here because there are, of course, two ways of thinking of inspiration. I'm just calling it here verbal and thought. Now, if you get hung up on verbal inspiration, you're in for trouble. All right, because verbal inspiration means dictation. God dictates and the prophet writes down. All right, this presupposes a whole lot of things. This presupposes that God skips a person's personality and takes over their brain and possesses them. God doesn't do that. That's not the way God works. That's the way the devil works. 
When the devil possesses a person, he takes over their brain. They often have no knowledge afterwards of what they did while they were the, under the influence of the, of the evil spirit. You will know people that are mediums. They sometimes, when they are channeling a spirit, they will even speak in a male voice when they're female. Their handwriting will change. And they will write in a completely different handwriting while they're under the influence of that spirit. Now, that is verbal inspiration. All right? They can't stop it. They can't hold it up. They don't think about it. They make no choices. They are moved like an automaton. That is the way the devil inspires. That is not the way God inspires. God works with the prophet. He uses the prophet's talent. He uses the prophet's mind. He even uses the prophet's emotions. And the prophet and God work together in the transmission of the message. So that is the fundamental thought that we have with, um, with our thought inspiration. We have received a vision or sometimes an audible form. They hear the prophet and they write it down. Uh, they write it down in their own words, and that's important to remember. Uh, and that does not exclude them doing secondary research. It does not exclude them doing secondary research. Especially when Ellen White wrote The Great Controversy, she often had, well, she worked on The Great Controversy actually her whole life. Uh, from her first vision, and there were several editions of the great controversy that came out. And each time she would enhance it. She would have more visions, she would have more insights, and she'd have more to add to it each time. But very often it would be something like she would get a vision, and the vision would be something like if, you watch a, if your friends are watching a movie and you walk in on the movie, what do you say? Get oh, well, get out of the way. That's right. They're standing in front of the screen. But otherwise, you say, what's this about? What's going on? Who's he? What's she doing? Why is he up there? Okay. So immediately, you start asking questions because you, you're trying to get context and you're trying to figure out what's going on. So a lot of her visions, like battle scenes that she would see, um, certain historical events that she would see, she would actually come in to into the vision and ask her accompanying angel, what's going on? What's this? What's that? A lot like John keeps asking the angel what's going on in the book of Revelation. And the angel would explain sometimes. He would say this and that and point her to important things. But when she came out of the vision, she would often dash off for the history books to find out more. She's like, okay, so I know the guys in the blue one, and I know that the papal forces were with the guys on the red, and I know the city that that happened, but what year did that happen in? Let me see where that happened. And she would research, and very often, especially with the great controversy, she would look at it, she would read the historical account, and she would say, absolutely, yep, that's exactly what I saw. That's how it went. But sometimes she would read it, and she would say, ah, they got it wrong. That's not what happened. I saw this and this and this, but this little detail that they have on here or this main point that this historian made, it's not true. I saw it differently. So sometimes she would actually correct what she had seen 
And that is totally fascinating. That's off our track right now. It's totally fascinating, especially, I mean, you have, you have Professor Judd Lake here, and uh, he's done extensive work on Ellen White and the Civil War. And it's very interesting. Critics for a long time pointed to certain things that Ellen White said that she'd seen in vision about certain battles of the Civil War and said, that's wrong, what she says. It contradicts the newspaper account of it. And very interestingly, he points out that every time she said it was wrong, it was wrong. The official newspaper account was wrong. Uh, people had insufficient information or they were deliberately covering up, covering up for a general or someone who made a big mess and was scared of getting, getting themselves fired. Uh, but the truth has come out from other accounts later on through research. So very, very interesting. So, yes. So the news media back then was as bad as it is now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you've got to get your sources from many sources over here. So, important point, they collected material and they wrote in their own words. In their own words, being not a dictation from God. Did they copy? Did they copy from other writers? Yes. Look at your New Testament writers. They did a lot of copying from Old Testament. They did a lot of copying from secular sources as well, extra-biblical sources when it met their needs. Ellen White does the exact same thing. She does the exact same thing from other sources. But what makes it important is that all of this is done under the supervision of the Holy Spirit. It's all done under the supervision of the Holy Spirit over here. So an extremely important point. Okay, let's get back to our vote. Were you, you were hoping that I'd forgotten. No, no, no. Okay, let's get back to our vote over here. Now that we've got some background on our inspiration over here. Sola Scriptura, this is the year of what great event? Reformation, the Reformation. And we stand firmly, firmly in the Protestant camp because we believe that the Bible is, is our source of truth, faith, Doctrine, practice, it's all rooted in the Bible. The Bible is our firm platform. Unlike, unlike other denom denominations, we do not think that our prophet improves on the Bible. We do not think that she embetters the Bible. No, the Bible is the basis, it's the foundation for everything we believe. But an important point the Bible itself does not exclude other authority. Can you see the difference? The Bible is a foundation, but it doesn't exclude other authority. Take the Bible itself. You have the prophet Nathan. The prophet Nathan turns up to talk to who? David. David. Now, who becomes part of the biblical canon? David or Nathan? David does. David's Psalms are in the Bible. We have nothing of Nathan's. We have nothing of Nathan's. Does that mean Nathan was not inspired? He was very inspired and he used, uh, I mean, he was the man for the moment, a very brave man to confront King David with his sin and speak to him head on. Okay, so 
The Bible is the basis, but it does not exclude extra-biblical authority. It does not exclude extra-biblical authority. As a matter of fact, it makes provision for extra-biblical ways that God can speak to us. The New Testament, it tells us that we must test the prophets. So it's assuming that the gift of prophecy will stay with the church until end time. But it needs to be tested because there will be false prophets as well as true prophets. So it needs to be there. All right. Who voted that Ellen White is less than the Bible? Over here. Now you can be brave and you can put up your hands. Less than. All right. If you voted that, you are correct. You are correct. Why? Why? Ellen White is below the Bible because she is tested by the Bible. We do not test the Bible by Ellen White. We test Ellen White by the Bible. So that's an important point to have. All right. Who voted Ellen White is equal to the Bible? Okay, now you're embarrassed, right? <laughs> well, you don't, you don't have to be. You don't have to be because you are correct. Now, how does that work? Now, how does that work? Aha! Aha! Inspiration is inspiration. So, Ellen White is below the Bible because she's tested by the Bible. But once she passes the test, then I cannot say, uh, on second thoughts, I don't want to pay any attention. Why can't I do that? Because the same, I tested her to see if the same spirit inspired her as the Bible. And if she passes that test, then I'm obligated to say, uh-huh, okay, God, you want to speak to me here too. I'm open. I'm open. Okay, so these are not mutually exclusive. Oh, sorry. She points to, she's tested by the Bible. She points to the Bible. And her writings are as authoritative as the Bible because we have the same inspiration. Amen. We have the same author. So I cannot pick and choose what I feel like over here. I can pick and choose as much as I can pick and choose with the Bible. If you pass the test, you move into a different category. Yes. You know, that is an excellent question. So why doesn't every person out there know Ellen White? <sighs> some of her writings would be specifically, some of the stuff she writes is very specific for the Adventist church in the terms of like some of the biblical instruction is for a certain time period for instance the building of the sanctuary and the command about how big the table of showbread needs to be and how many pegs need to be put on the sanctuary etc etc it's not exactly applicable to us today is it all right it's there it was very applicable to that time and that place there are still lessons we can learn from it a second resource over here. But it's for a specific time and a specific place. But there's plenty of universal principles that can be drawn out and continually used. And I think with Ellen White's writings, the same thing is there. 
That's point number one. Point number two, unfortunately, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, is the way that she's presented. There's an awful lot of confusion. Uh, there's an awful lot of confusion. Many people think that Seventh-day Adventists have a prophet, like the Mormons have a prophet, that replaces the Bible, that we, we have the Bible and somebody else that you need to be saved or something else that you need to be saved, that we're not firmly rooted on the Bible. Uh, and probably another good, another good reason why a lot of Christians maybe have not been exposed to her is, or, or have not accepted her is the exposure that she gets. Um, we can blame the internet. Uh, unfortunately, the most, the most um, aggressive opponents of Ellen White are ex-Adventists. And they've always got a real big bone to pick and they make it their life mission to, to get online and to run different sites, etc., etc. Um, and if you look into their arguments, it's mostly a misunderstanding of inspiration um, that, they, that they work on. Um, maybe we'll touch back on that question a little bit further over here. But I think it's a very, very good question. All right, time is going on. So let's give you, let's give you a very quick question. What dangers do you see in verbal inspiration? Now that we've seen thought inspiration, why would it be a bad thing for anyone to say, I believe that God dictated everything she said, word for word. You know, God said it, I believe it, and that's enough for me. Why do you think that could be dangerous? Okay, to your partner quickly, so that more people can express themselves. Okay, let's go around. Let's go to this side a little bit. What dangers do you see in, in a belief in verbal inspiration? Anyone from this side? This neglected side, yes. It could lead to a blind acceptance of anything new and unusual. Good, yes. I think I can see that. Okay, it could lead to a blind acceptance of anything new and unusual, she says. Okay, anyone else? Or well, any other issue like Islam has to be that particular language. And then we say, okay, can we have this translation? Can we have this language? We need to learn in Hebrew and Aramaic. How about the commas, chapters, or later installed in there? Why issues with that? All right, that's a very good point he's brought up. He says, you've got issues with translation. Because if it's verbal, then God spoke it in the original language. Like in Islam, any, any translation is not valid. Because when you translate, you do interpret. You have to. So you've, you've got big problems there. People, we hear this all the time at the White Estate. Anytime anyone wants to modernize any English, people have a riot. Because you don't mess with Ellen White's words. Okay, a little bit of verbal inspiration out there. Yes. Anyone else? Freedom of choice. Right. If, if God would just use you and use a computer and just type through you whatever he wants to say, then you would not have the choice to accept it or not. Okay, so she says freedom of choice. It brings in a real issue with freedom of choice. All right, one last comment. Yes. 
Can you combine them? Yes. To me like God spoke. Yes. But the definition you gave is more like she, uh, dictation. Possessed, yeah. Well, according to that definition, if, if it's that way and then she and human, humanity makes a mistake, it's, supposed to, it's on God. Right. So people are going to take what she's saying, but it's really not from the Lord, but they think it's verbal, so they'll accept something that's error. Exactly. If you find, if you believe in, as I'm calling it, verbal inspiration or this dictation model, and if you find a spelling error, that can destroy your faith because God is perfect. God doesn't make spelling mistakes. All right? And, and that's no joke. Someone lost their faith during Ellen White's lifetime because... Ellen White wrote about what she had seen in vision for a certain hospital, and she mentioned that there were 140 rooms there. And she said, and all these 140 rooms, you know, and she mentioned the 140 rooms, and she'd been shown blah, blah. And this person got, they lost their faith because there were 142 rooms. There were 142 rooms. And she goes on to clear, she says, the angel never told me how many rooms there were. He showed me the situation. I heard from someone that there were 140 rooms, so I just put that in, you know. But the point of the vision wasn't about how many rooms there were. It was about the situation at that, at that particular hospital. All right, so you see the dangers over here. You see the dangers without detracting. People have the same problem with the Bible. Why in one gospel is there one demon possessed and in the other one there's two? I mean... Couldn't they get their story straight? Okay. That's right. And you have, sometimes you have a deliberate, well, not a deliberate, a real accident. Some of the New Testament writers actually quote, they say in the book of Isaiah, it says such and such. And it's not Isaiah, it's Hosea. So they made a real, a real mistake over there. They misquoted. All right. So you see, you see what, this kind of belief can do to your faith and in your faith of in God over here. All right. Um, would you like to take a break? All right. No. You don't want to take a break. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Okay, yes. Yes, the sister over here is speaking about how the Bible was transmitted before Moses wrote the Bible down, that it was transmitted orally. Uh, and probably because of our shrinking brains and capacity, God actually, actually inspired Moses. Moses saw a lot as well in vision, and Moses wrote things down because uh, if it left it to transmission uh, from memory to memory, we'd, you know, we'd end up with some of these crazy myths and legends today uh, down here. Okay, let's get back to your question at the back. Why are... Why is Ellen White perhaps 
not as widely accepted as she could be or she should be. Okay. Now, this is a particular burden for me um, because in my area, I work at the White Estate. I work particularly with children, teens, and young adults. That's kind of my area of focus with how we can make Ellen White interesting, how we can brand her, rebrand her for another generation. Because we, Ellen White has faced a lot of criticism. From when she was alive, she faced a lot of criticism. The devil had it in for her. Um, right through her life, she had a lot of criticism. After her death, we've had waves and waves of criticism. And every time it revolves around a wrong understanding of inspiration as being one of the primary problems, but then it'll make the same cycles. For instance, 30 years ago, you know, with the Ford crisis, etc., uh, we had the Santry and then Ellen White being tackled. And then we had the plagiarism issue come out. Ellen White can't be inspired because she copied from other people. And, of course, there were very exaggerated accounts of how she copied and if she was trying to cover up that she was copying, etc., etc. All of those questions have been well researched, well documented, and if anyone has any issues, I will point you to sources online where you can read to your heart's content, where you can get any, any and every answer. I mean, we get questions all the time. Um, and what I normally do, I'll tell you a secret, where we get all these email, email questions, what I normally do is I go straight to questions and answers in our website. I put in the, the main word and I copy and I paste the answer out and I put it with the person's name and I send it off again. Because there are very seldom any new questions. They're always the same. They're always the same. It's the same old thing. Did she copy it? Did she really write Steps to Christ or did her secretary write it? You know, same old questions. But the real problem we're facing with our young adults, our teens, and right down to our children is irrelevance. It's not that they have major issues with, oh, was she plagiarizing? It's like, who cares? Um, good for her. If she was a prophet, cool, let her do her thing. It just doesn't affect me. So that's the biggest challenge. Yes? For me personally, my problem, um, and, and I've been struggling with mm -hmm. this a lot, is that, I mean, she's a woman. Mm -hmm. Why would God pick a woman? All through the Bible, all through history, male-oriented, male-dominated, man is the head of the house. Why would a woman be a prophet? Well, she's not the only female. That is, that is, that is a good question, and I like that question. <laughs> Thank you. Um, there were a lot of female prophets in the Bible. We had judges. No, we had prophets. Holder the prophet being one. Um, Miriam was a, she's also the Miriam the prophetess over there. Deborah does some some prophesying, but she's a judge that she comes through. So we do have this, which is very rare. Uh, we have Philip with his seven daughters that prophesied. So they 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 are there. They are there. Sorry, did I make a mistake? No. Okay. So they 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 are there. Um, yeah, I like it that God chose Ellen because and when with her calling, he told her he is picking the weakest of the weak over here. 
which she really was. When, when the prophetic gift was given to a good, strong male, um, to, to Hazen Foss, which was actually related to her by marriage, um, it was her oldest sister's brother-in-law. Um, and he, he turned it down. Uh, God said to him, I'm going to give it to someone, the weakest of the weak. Why? To make sure that people know that the messages are from me because they couldn't have originated with a 17-year-old, sick, frail, tuberculous-ridden, timid, shy, nervous young girl with a third-grade education. You know, just to show, like Paul says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Weakness. And give some little glimpse of the heights a person can expand to when they accept God's calling in their life and, and move with God. So, yes, thanks for that. So, back to Ellen White. Back to introducing Ellen White. We... Unfortunately, if we go back a couple of generations now, I don't want to point fingers. don't want to point fingers. I'm somewhere here in the middle. I don't want to point fingers. But we have, we've had cycles that have gone through the church. We've had cycles that have gone through the church. Um, we have, after the, in the in, when, when Ellen White was still alive, when Ellen White was still alive, most people still had a balanced idea of who she was, what she was. I mean, they'd heard her, they'd seen her even as small children. But the next generation to pass on, there were a lot of social forces. Uh, we have the First World War breaking out and all the social changes that brings in. So we have the next generation that comes in. They are come in with quite a heavy hand. It's, this is Ellen White. They're guarding her memory. They're guarding her writings. And it's the next generation that starts saying, yeah, but why should I be listening? What does this have in it for me? It was sort of the attitude, be quiet and do what I say. Don't ask questions. She's inspired. You're asking, you, you're challenging God if you, if you ask any questions. So just be quiet and do what she said. Yeah, but this doesn't make any sense. What does she mean by not going to theater? What does she mean by cheese? What do you mean? Don't ask, just do it. Okay? Don't mess with it. Just do it. So we had this generation grow up. And they were like distinctly awkward. But they were obedient. And so they did what they were told. Their kids became hippies. And... The challenge there was, you know, question authority. So Ellen White was an authority figure, a big one. So she got questioned and she couldn't question big. But parents, that generation couldn't, they didn't have any answers. They gave the only answer that they had had, which was be quiet and do it. <laughs> and that might have worked for their generation, but it definitely wasn't working for the free thinking hippie bunch so they were like no way actually just because you said I say the opposite 
And we had these great, I mean, I'm really simplifying, but we have these great social movements and we have a lot of people leaving the church over Ellen White at this time. Those that stay in the church were, they didn't have their, their questions answered about Ellen White. They didn't understand, but they loved Jesus. They loved the church. They, were, they understood the biblical doctrines, so they stayed. But when they had kids, they just said nothing about Ellen White because they didn't want to lie because it's awkward. So they just said nothing. They're just like, well, the kids can figure out, that out for themselves when, when they want to, if they want to. And now that generation of say nothing has grown up and they have kids and they've heard nothing. Oh, Ellen White, Ellen White, Ellen White. Yeah, wasn't she a pioneer or something? I don't know, but in the olden days, they used to read a lot of her stuff. Okay, so that's about as far as it goes. So we are facing a very big crisis. Our value genesis studies that we've been doing, they show Ellen White on all, <laughs> it's just, just, yeah, it's horrifying, on all levels. Was Ellen White a prophet? Uh, 30 years ago, it was 40% of our high schoolers said she was a prophet. It's way down. The last one was maybe 20, maybe 20. Interaction with Ellen White. You know, if you read or have read to you something of Ellen White once a week or less, you know, but at least once a week. I mean, once a week or more, not less. Once a week or more. That was 30 years, that was about 30%. Um, the last value genesis, value genesis study, it's 2%. 2%. So they, the, you know, uh, Gillespie and those that did the survey, they said, for those of you who do statistics, on the next survey, it's statistically irrelevant, that question. Okay. The last one they were bringing out in, it's come out in sections, I think it was 15 or 16. 2015 or 16. Yes. Um, I'm just going to share a, sort of a family testimony. Yes. What you just yes. Can you hear her? No. Oh. All right. My, my grandparents converted to Adventism when they were in their teens. And so they took time and patience to learn about Ellen White and, and all of that and learn about her inspiration from that generation um well when my mom and they, they passed this along to their kids when my mom went to school her teachers actively told her the Adventist school system not to read Ellen White because she was not inspired so my mom grew up hearing both of these from her parents mm -hmm. that she was inspired and from her school that she was not and so she ignored Ellen White all the way up through college until after she got out of college and she had these books from classes that she went to in college, but she'd never read them. She just had them because it was what you did as a good Adventist. Mm -hmm. So after she got out of college, then she began to look into it and read. And now she'll tell me, I wish mm -hmm. that I had been taught right in school mm -hmm. to read this because it has changed my life. And so many of these problems that I had, okay. I not have had. Thank you. Just a quick recap for those who couldn't hear. She gave, uh, what's your name? Caitlin. Caitlin, Caitlin gave a, a little testimony about her grandparents that came into the church 
as teens and, and actively studied and got their questions answered and accepted Ellen White and taught their daughter to do so. But when she went to school, her teacher actually discouraged Ellen White reading. So she stopped until after college where she actually began studying and reading Ellen White for herself. This is her mom. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. All right. Very short because we've got a lot to cover. Yes. Mm-hmm. that she was making about had I known when I was younger. Yes. Um, I mentor kids and work with them, and they ask a lot of questions like why or how come or things I go through. And it kind of hurts that, I guess, Ellen White is seen as irrelevant. Mm-hmm. A lot of the books that, that she writes are so applicable mm-hmm. to things that they are going through emotionally, psychologically, mm-hmm. and just spiritually as yes. well. Yes. There's so many examples I could just make. Yes. So many. But I wish when those open windows are happening with kids that people would be ready. To be teachable so that we could use um, the spirit of prophecy to really share those lessons. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much. She says. She works a lot with kids, and they have these questions. And those are very teachable moments if at that moment we take the opportunity to, to work with it. So very briefly, very briefly, with, without moping around, let's, let's change the tide. Let's change the tide. And to do that, I, you, each one of us has a part to play. And it's not a very difficult part. Here's some very practical tips for turning the tide. Okay, here we go. How to introduce Ellen White to someone else. Now I'm talking about child. I'm talking about other Adventists that are negative towards her. Don't judge people, especially other Adventists that are negative towards her. They're not bad Adventists. Okay, they've had experiences and they've been exposed to different things. So don't judge them. All right, this is an opportunity, an opportunity it's not something negative. They're not lower class Adventists, okay? So, just that was just a side advertising. All right, here's point number one, and I can't overemphasize this. All right, you are the introduction. You are the introduction. If you mention Ellen White, if people know you read Ellen White, you're the introduction. They will equate it with you. What does that mean? That means if you're negative, sour, difficult, and unlovable, so is Ellen White. If you're positive, happy, energetic, if you're getting something from it and it's giving you a better way of life, that's fantastic advertising. Okay. So that is so important. Children already, and in these surveys we find... You have little kids. You say, do you know who Ellen White is? And they will already say, "Uh, they don't like her. Why don't you like her? Because my mother makes a funny face every time she hears that name. Okay? So they're picking up. They're picking up the vibes. They've never read a thing, but they're picking up. All right. So we are the introduction. Let's positively role model her advice. People are willing and open for things that work. Now, if I come to you and I look at you and I say, what are you eating? Did you know that Ellen White said 
That, that stuff is not fit for human consumption. Didn't you know any better than that? You probably are not making a convert towards Ellen White writings. Okay. On the other hand, on the other hand, if you're in a group and you say, I am feeling so much better since I've started getting eight hours of sleep at night. You know, it, it really makes a difference. I'm able to concentrate better, blah, blah. Really? Yeah. I've, you know, I've got all these new, these new fantastic pointers that I'm trying to apply. Some of them are really tough. I'm struggling on it. But the ones I've managed to get in, I'm really seeing benefits. Really? Yeah? That's cool. I could try that. You're a positive advert. People aren't looking for perfection. They're looking for authenticity. Okay. So let's model that over here. Tell human interest stories. You know, anyone know what Ellen White's favorite color was? It wasn't black. Pink, yes, pink. Favorite dessert? Lemon pie. Someone's done her homework here. Okay, yes, human interest stories. People are interested. What was it like? What was she like as a mother? What was she like as a wife? Did her and James never have any trouble? Oh, they had plenty of trouble. Okay. They had things they had to work through. It's very inspirational, actually. Okay. Share your experience. We spoke about that. Share your experience with her writings. And that's not just, this is, I mean, I could talk all day about what I've gotten out of Steps to Christ. It's one of my favorite books. It's just when I'm feeling down, it's just such a good book. It's so practical. Okay, but you could go on and on about that. Don't use her in a Bible study. Okay, don't use Ellen White in a Bible study. <sighs> okay, how am I going to put this gently, nicely? It's culturally, I guess, sensitive as well. But when you walk into a Sabbath school class or you walk into a group and you in a Sabbath school group uh, class or whatever and you hear... Ellen White says, 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 you go after a while, is this a Bible study or is this an Ellen White study here? Okay, remember, everything we believe is founded on the Bible. Use the Bible. Use the Bible. Use Ellen White yourself, but you don't have to quote her all the time, especially in groups where she's not well known. Do a gentle, subtle thing. Don't do an in-your-face thing. Okay? Don't do an in-your-face thing. It's not as effective. Not as effective. Sharing a favorite quote on your Facebook page, on your Twitter account, okay? Just share a favorite quote for the day, something positive, you know? The throne of grace is always accessible. That's a nice little quote to begin your day over here, right? Just a short one-liner. That goes a long way. Tell of her struggles and victories. Now, we could talk a whole lot about that. I just mentioned her marriage. Did you know that Ellen White and James, Ellen White and James faced, I mean, there are the indicators that they list experiences that up your chances of divorce, okay? And there are, there are five big ones. Ellen White and James had four of the five. The only one that they didn't experience was marital infidelity. But all the other things that kill marriages, they experienced. And it wasn't easy. It rocked the boat for both of them. 
tremendously. But they went through it and they came out on the other side more in love with each other and more united. But it wasn't easy. Now hearing that kind of story, at least for me, has been faith building. Has been faith building. Rather than, she's not a saint. She never was. She was a human being dedicated to following God, working for God, and doing what God called her to do. She didn't have a direct line. God didn't tell her how to raise her kids specifically. She had to have a black sheep in the family. Edson, Edson was a terrible child. Already from little, he was lying. He was sneaking around. By the time he was a young adult, he had discovered that using the white name could get you some financial benefits. He would go into a small town, you know, with a couple of Adventist families, and you'd tell them, you know, I'm Edson White. And of course, they were, whoa. And he, you know, I want to do some mission outreach stuff here. We're going to have this little printing press and blah, and blah. Uh, can you lend me money? People would lend him money. His business dreams were not that good. He'd mismanage the money. And when it was gone, he'd skip town. So the people would write, of course, to James and Ellen saying, you know, we lent your son $50, $100, whatever. We'd really like our money back. Uh, you can imagine how James and Ellen felt. I mean, it led to friction between the two of them because James White was the tough love kind of guy. He, after a while, said, you know what? Then they should just take him to court. I mean, he's made his bed. He should sleep in it. Ellen, on the other side, was the mother, which I can understand. She was like, well, we'll bail him out this time and told him never to do it again. So, I mean, there was this kind of thing that went on. James and Edson had a very strained relationship right up until James's death in 1881. After a little time later, I mean, that seemed that cut some cords. A little while later, Edson writes to Ellen and he says, you know what I've discovered? I've discovered that I am not in the least interested in religion. I'm not a religious person. That's the prophet's son. Huh? He's not interested in religion anymore. She writes the most heart-wrenching letters. That We have copies of those in the vault. She writes back to him. She says, Edson, it's not made up. I've seen heaven. It's worth everything. You don't want to give it up. And she puts the plea. She says, but for me, how will heaven be if my boy isn't there? Edson, you know? And we don't know if that makes any impact because the next letter she writes to her sister, her daughter-in-law. She says, Emma, please see that Edson reads, Edson reads this and doesn't burn it. So you know what's going on there. Okay. Praise the Lord for all of us with children that are not following. Keep praying. There's hope. When Ellen White wrote about having, you know, having to pers per persevere in prayer, she knew what she was talking about. Edson did find Jesus, but he was 43 years old when he found Jesus. And all the great work that Edson did, because, you know, he's known as the pioneer missionary down the Mississippi. After the Civil War, he opens the work in the South. I mean, it all has Edson's name all over it. But he's 43 years old before he begins. Okay, that's a side note. Okay, tell of her struggles and victories over here. Give a book. Give a book. All right, what book? Start with the controversy series. 
Steps to Christ, Desire of Ages, check out where you're interested. Councils on Diet and Food is not probably a good introductory book. Okay, just saying, just saying. There are exceptions, there are exceptions you will hear, but, you know, perhaps not the best. Um, depending on your audience, go for easy to read ones as an introduction. They are not inferior. Remember, we don't believe in verbal inspiration. Okay, so these books are easier for a modern reader. I mean, she did write simply for her day. Compare it to any other novel of the day. You will see her language is very simple. But for many readers today who are not used to reading at all, or secular unchurched people, this is a much easier read. Sentences are shorter. Word order is changed around to make it flow easier. All right? And you may want to look at an abridged book for a beginning. We had a big fight when The Great Hope was released. A lot of people got really upset and said, they're watering down the truth, they're chopping up the book, they only are they embarrassed, they only want to give out small bits of the book, etc. Folks, when you go to the supermarket and they're introdu introducing a new product, they do not give you a whole casserole, right? They give you a sample. And if you like it, you will spend money and buy a big one and eat it. So this is, rather than knocking someone over the head with the great controversy that's so big to read, give them a sample. Get their taste buds tickled. And then give them something more over here. This one here, Messiah. I've experienced, this is a really good one to give for people who've already negative about Ellen White, that don't want to read anything from Ellen White. You give them the Messiah, my friend, I did it with her. She was very suspicious because she'd heard about this weird prophet that we have. A very a wonderful lady, but very suspicious. And I gave her Messiah. She read that. She said, well, this is a lovely book. Really enjoyed it. I said, you do realize that that's based on another book. It's been paraphrased and it's, you know, and it's actually written by Ellen White. Really? She wrote something like that? Oh, wow. An opening. An opening. Okay. So, yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, she's, she's asking about messages to young people. Is there, is there something over there? Okay. Um, I'm, there is a call to stand apart, but I don't think it's in, it's in print anymore, unfortunately. Um, there's, of course, letters to young lovers, etc. But currently the board is looking into bringing out something new. God has used that book mightily. I will not deny it. And it's very relevant. But uh, the compiler did have a bone to pick with a lot of people. He really did take out some of the harder stuff that he could without the mitigating other paragraph along with it. So, um, yes, I agree with you. There is a great need there. Yes? I just have, and a great hope, so that book was reduced because of the volume, the size? Yes. Yes. Okay, well, that book was originally written 
for or asked for South America. And if you know anything about South America, you will know that Catholicism is very strong. And they didn't want to offend. They wanted to get uh, a, a foot in the door without having people preaching from the pulpits and telling people for a call to burn books. So they did take the stuff that they figured would be too hard or too heavy and brought it down, condensed it, to give people a positive first impression with contact information of where they could download for free. And this has been the most distributed book and it has led to baptism of thousands. This has been the book that has led mo to most in, in, within the last 10, 15 years. Um, it was a very big success. But it's a sample. It's a sampler. Okay. Um, use steps to Christ or steps to Jesus. That's a great way to, great way to begin. Very briefly, because we still got the real exciting stuff is still coming. So let's move on very quickly. The real exciting stuff is coming. So just some quick don'ts. Bum, bum, bum. We'll just fly through over here. Okay. Don't use Ellen White as a weapon. Don't use Ellen White as a weapon. All right. If I tell you Ellen White says, and you don't happen to believe in Ellen White, I could be telling you Buddha says. That's about as much impact as it'll have. It'll only make you more negative. You'll just go away saying, I always knew she was crazy. Now I really know she's crazy. Okay. So don't use her as a weapon. That's not why she was given. Okay. Don't use her to end a discussion. Use her to start a discussion, not to end a discussion. For our older folks, this is particularly f true for our young people. Why do this and that, and I want to do this and that? Don't say Ellen White says to end the discussion. Say Ellen White says this and this. Let's find out why she says this and this. Let's be open and let's explore the biblical basis for why she says this and this. Okay? She's there to begin discussions, not end discussions over here. Let's not use her to try to control others. Ellen White is written primarily for me, not for you. And until I have internalized her, I'm not ready to make you accept her. Okay? And let's not use her, and we've mentioned this, as entrance to an exclusive club. Let's not use her as entrance to an exclusive club. I, I've read through the conflict series four times. It's just so great. I just love reading Ellen White. Okay, and you've never read anything. I think you feel a little out over here, right? Yes. So um, I know she wrote a lot of letters to like different people, and um, also like certain letters that weren't written by That's a very good question. Um, he's asking, some of the letters were written to specific people. How do we know if that applies to us? What applies to other people? What applies to me? How do I figure that out? Can I come back to that question? It's in our, in our, next, in our little next presentation. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.